Well, basically, I'm going to roll off script for a little while because some really good things are in store for us today, I believe, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a guest speaker here. His name is Reverend Eddie Alamon, and he's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit power that we need for unction to go out and be God's great commission people. Uh, I met Eddie years ago at Emmanuel Reformed Church when he served there with my father and with my brother Ken. And then I had a chance to reacquaint myself with him this summer at General Synod. Eddie is now the General Secretary of the Reformed Church in America. At the first plenary session that we had, Eddie shared that he has Bell's palsy. And so what was interesting in that moment was I had a vision from the Holy Spirit that after the plenary session, I was supposed to go up to him, hold his cheek, and pray for healing for him. And after that plenary session, it turns out that four other people got the same message, and so we did that. And then I'm looking at Eddie right now, and there has been no healing. John Wimber in the Vineyard Church for years heard they were to be a church that was to move into the supernatural and into healing. And for five years, they prayed, they prayed, and people did not get healed. In fact, many people died that they were praying for. Kind of the third church story, I think. And about the fifth year, things started breaking at the Vineyard Fellowship in Orange County, California. Because of this one word, and I want you to say it after me. They were importunate. Can you say that word, importunate? Take your fist like this and put it on your throat. That's what a pit bull does when it's attacking another dog. And E.M. Bounds says that's what importunate prayer is. It grabs God by the ankle, and it says, I'm not letting go until we get an answer. And that pleases God. Because God likes to use time, which whittles away our flesh, and opens up our hearts to receive truly what the Spirit wants to give us in the realm of healing, in the realm of revelation, and in many ways. I've got a friend named David Wilson. He's an orphanage director down in Ensenada, uh, Mexico. And back in the day when I was a kid in California, we had categories for people. You had the lowriders, which were the Mexicans. You had the white dudes who were the surfers. You had the athletes. And then you had the stoners. Does everybody here remember what a stoner was? with somebody who's on drugs all the time. Well, David Wilson was a stoner, and he was in Hawaii. He was a surfer. And his mother, who was a widow, would call him once a month just to see if he was alive. And one day she called him, and she said, David, I want you to know that all the old ladies are meeting right now in our house. It was the old ladies' prayer group in this church. And we're praying for your salvation, and you don't stand a chance. <laughs> Within two months, his life got turned upside down, and he was in the Lord, and he was getting his act together in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do some importunate prayer this morning. I've got a friend over here, Al Hibbert, whose wife, Marcia, just went home to be with the Lord last week. We're going to intercede for Al. If you have a physical malady, emotional, spiritual, would you do me a favor, and would you cup your hands like this right now? And I'm asking anybody in our congregation who is high in faith and believes that they have the gift of healing that the Holy Spirit wants to channel through them to come up front right now and lay hands on Eddie Alamon. Let's go. Troops, let's go. If you got it, come on. I know you do. Heisers, let's go. I'm calling your name out. <laughs> come on. There we go. Be bold, people. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Steve. There you go. I'd like the congregation just to put your right hand toward Eddie and toward those around you who have their hands cupped. And over here, would people lay hands on Al? And we're going to pray. And then I'll make Eddie's introduction, and we'll keep moving with the order for the day. Thanks, Ann. Thank you, Katie. 
Lord Jesus, we come uh, into your presence, as we just sang, into the great white throne room of heaven. We thank you that angels are present. We thank you that your spirit is in and amongst and around us and on us. And so we do what the author of Hebrews did. He said we can boldly come before the throne of grace because of the shed blood of Jesus. And there, as Paul writes, he says, we can then humbly make our requests known to you, our Heavenly Father, our good, good Father. So this morning, very simply, with no big to do. We ask for healing for Eddie. We ask for healing for all those in our midst who need a touch from you, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever it is, Lord, we pray for your spirit to move quietly, simply. Lord, we're praying people here at Third Church. We come before your throne of grace with humility, knowing that you are a good and sovereign God and that you do what you know is best, and we trust your heart. And we thank you that we could move in obedience right now. And now, Lord, I lift up my brother Al, who's over to the right. Pray for his heart. We thank you that Marcia, his good wife, is with you now, Lord, and she is literally experiencing your goodness. We will miss Marcia here, Lord, for her joy, for the light of your love on her. We thank you that as Jesus listened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees argue over whether there was resurrection, you said, Jesus, to them, you guys just don't know the scriptures. For it's simple. Moses wrote that God told him that he is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He is the God of Jacob. He's the God of the living and not the dead. And so we thank you that Marcia is with you. We lift up Al and his children now as they renegotiate life with a place setting that's empty. We thank you, Lord God, that you'll give him grace, that your grace is sufficient for each day, one day at a time. Your grace is sufficient for all of us one day at a time. By faith, Lord, we lay our requests before your throne of grace, and we thank you in advance for the way in which you're going to answer our prayers in your time and in your way. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, troopers, for coming and not being prepared to come. Always be ready. Quick introduction for Eddie as he's going to bring the, the word this morning. Uh, Eddie's a pastor. He's a church planter. He's a nurturer of leaders. In 1987, at age 16, Eddie and his family fled Nicaragua. That was in the middle of a civil war at that time, and they relocated to Canada as refugees. He, when he started attending church then, he became a follower of Christ. At age 21, Eddie and his wife, uh, Daisy, joined an RCA church. It was a Hispanic church plant in Toronto. And then he started planting churches without being authorized. By golly, how does that work? He just started doing it because the Holy Spirit said so. Then he earned his Master's of Divinity degree at Western Seminary, and now he's working. he has his arts, Master of Arts degree in New Testament Studies from Fresno Pacific University. Uh, Eddie served for eight years at Emmanuel Reformed Church, my home church, Kevin Home Church, in charge of Hispanic ministries and church planting efforts in Los Angeles. We'll talk a little bit about that. Currently, Eddie's pursuing his Ph.D. in New Testament studies, and he's just taken the position of RCA General Secretary. Can I touch him? He's, like, really special. He's got a lot in his repertoire, in his resume. So today, Eddie's going to share a little bit of what's happening in the RCA. He's going to share also about our need for the unction, the power of the Holy Spirit 
to be the church in mission, as we've been talking about all year in the book of Acts. So Eddie, wanted to come on up? This is a friendly group. Would you welcome him with some applause? Make him feel at home. Thank you, Keith. Um, good morning, friends. I am excited. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for your prayers. You know, I've been dealing with Bell's palsy since, since uh, uh, May of this year. So, and it's funny that this is the second time it happened to me in five years. So when I was transitioning from Emmanuel Reform to, uh, Grand, to the beautiful city of Grand Rapids, Michigan, I was, you know, suddenly one day I woke up and my face was weird. It was strange and, and I, was on, I was on vacation uh, in Cabo, Cabo San Lucas. So I drove from LA to Cabo all the way. I wanted to do that drive to, you know, Baja California, Baja California South in Mexico, all the way to whatever lands and, and I was on my hotel and I woke up in the morning and my face was all crooked to the other side. You know, it was like, oh Lord, what, what happened? So I went to the doctor and uh, I said, you know, he told me this, this could be a lot of different things. And I said, I better go home, and, and I started driving back again for two days. It took me two days to drive from L.A. to Baja and then going back to Baja. So that was five years ago. It lasted about eight months. So in May of this year, I, I flew to New York, and I was in one of the meetings, and then I, I just saw my face, like, on the other side. But it's funny that now it's on the other side. So the first time I had it on the right side, now it's on the left side. I said, well, maybe the Lord wanted to, you know, make it that even. <laughs> because after you have Bell's palsy, you, can, you, can, you never get 100%. So I was in about 90%. And now the Lord is, doing, is on the other side. And this is a reminder for me that, you know, my, you know the grace of the Lord is sufficient for me. So that's, that's every day I say, Lord, I want to be healed. I want to be, you know, I, I want to have my full smile. But the Lord says... My grace is sufficient for you. So that's my own personal learning. And I say, Lord, thank you. Because it's not, it's not that you're not with me, but you want to teach me obedience. You want to teach me patience. You want to teach me what it means to always wait on the Lord. So always wait on the Lord. I think that's the, that's the most important thing in life. Well, thank you. Thank you, kids, for the introduction. So I... I I've been living in North America for the last 32 years. Um, as a young man, I left Nicaragua and moved to Canada. And uh, I met my beautiful wife, Daisy. She's here. Oh, there she is. So Daisy, she's, she's my wife. We have been married for 30 years. So God has been good to us. So 30 years of our journey together. And uh, we were little kids, you know, 18 years old. 18 years old when we married, and it's been 30 years, and it's been a beautiful, wonderful, great uh, ride for me and, and Daisy. And we had three children uh, and three grandchildren. I was a granddad when I was 38 years old, so I'm, I'm 48, and my grandson is 10, which is awesome to play with him, to ride and jump. I can jump, yeah, I can jump still, so I can do that with my grandson. It's, it's amazing. So we've been married for two years, and, uh, and thank you, Daisy, for, for walking this life with me. Also, my good friend and brother and, and, and uh, colleague, Larry, 
Where, where are you, Laryl? Oh, Laryl is there. Thank you, Laryl. Uh, he, he coordinates, you know, a lot of my time here, and uh, thank you for doing that. And thank you, thank you, Thur, for opening the doors, for receiving me. Not only me, you know, in Pella, we are about eight staff members in Pella this uh, today, preaching in many different churches. So it's been a, it's been a great, we had a, a good uh, a dinner last night uh, with some friends, and it's, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. As Keith said, I used to, I was a pastor at Emmanuel Reformed Church. That was my, my last assignment. I was uh, working with, with Ken and Pastor Harold. You know, one, one important thing that Pastor Harold used to do every day that I always remember, he used to come to my office to bless me. And for me, that was a really important highlight in my ministry. I always remember that. He's close to 90 years old now, and it was awesome to see him walking into the office every single day. He used, to, he used to walk around the community blessing people, but coming to the office to bless me and say, Eddie, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. So that was for me a beautiful thing when I was at Emmanuel every single day. So I, I did a Hispanic ministries there and also... Uh, church planting, so I was in charge of all of the church planting efforts at Emmanuel and also the Hispanic ministry. We had eight worship services on Sunday, so I so long services on Sundays, I'm used to that, so I used to do two in Spanish and two in English. So I have four services every, every Sunday at Emmanuel, which it was, it was uh, an amazing thing. So I joined the RCA staff in 2014. Uh, I joined to lead a Hispanic ministry for the Reformed Church in America. We had about 100 uh, Latino churches. So my job was to coordinate all of that work, equip our Latino pastors and train uh, all, all of our Latino pastors, and also work with classes leaders for the, for the start of Hispanic Latino ministries in the U.S. and Canada. And also I was doing leadership development, one of the uh, one of the three priorities of transform and transforming. So I was uh, doing uh, director of leadership development and also Hispanic ministry for the, RCA, for the RCA for the last four years. And a year ago, the Lord called me to be the general secretary. For me, it was a difficult calling, a difficult, a difficult time for, uh, because, you know, because of the reality of the Reformed Church in America in this time. Uh, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go back to the local church. I'm a pastor. I love to see people come into faith. I love to baptize new believers. I love to, you know, uh, pray with people that are going through, through different things in life. I love to, you know, marry uh, people that want to be married. And I love to, to bless people in their funerals. So I, I say I, it's a good opportunity for me to go back to the local church and to continue to be a pastor, but that God said, you know, I have a different assignment for you. And I said, Lord, leading the Reformed Church in America in this time, in this time in, in our history, is not an easy thing to do, but, uh, but I'm doing that, and, and let me tell you, I am enjoying my time. I have the opportunity to cast vision, and also the opportunity to, to connect with a lot of, to, with a lot of friends, uh, just a little update on the Reformed Church. You know, we, we are a denomination that has been doing ministry for the last 391 years. That's a long time. I think we are one of the oldest denominations uh, doing continuous ministry in North America, which is a good thing. We have been doing that for 391 years, but it is time for us to go back and say, you know, what will be the future of the Reformed Church in America? 
So we, we are dealing with a lot of different things, and one is the human sexuality question. Uh, so it's not the only thing that the team, the 2020 team is doing, but that's part of the process. And we're trying to say, you know, what does it mean to do ministry in North America in the 21st century? So that's, that's what the, the 2020 team is talking about. Uh, I ask you for your prayers for that team of people, 12 people that are meeting. And uh, they, they, have, they started meeting last year when the Interim General Secretary brought a proposal to the formation of this team. Uh, and they have had good, good conversations. In 20, the General Sino 2019, uh, delegates had an opportunity to share about the options that we have for the RCA, for the future of the Reformed Church in America. So they gathered a lot of feedback from delegates of General Synod, and now they have four, four meetings, four in-person gatherings, one in September, one in November, the other one will be in January of 2020, and the last one uh, will be in March before they present their final report to General Sino 2020 that will be meeting at Northwestern College in Orange City. So, so I ask you to, to continue to pray for the RCA and pray for me as we continue to do ministry. Uh, I believe that God has something really amazing for the future of the Reformed Church. I believe that God has implanted the, the next season of our ministry, and I'm glad to, to be, you know, uh, uh, leading uh, this process, which is a complicated and difficult process, but the Holy Spirit is, is with us, and, and we're, we are listening to the voice of the Spirit. So let me share with you God's word uh, from the book of Acts, chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. The book of Acts, chapter 1, uh, verse 8, and I have only one verse to share with you. Uh, hear the word of the Lord, coming from the book of Acts, chapter 1, uh, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is often the forgotten member of the Trinity. Many, many people, many people think that uh, only, you know, only charismatic people pay attention to that. Um, and then we focus on, on Jesus and we learn about Jesus in Bible studies, small group, in, you know, in, in, in church uh, studies. Then we learn about God. Uh, but what about the Holy Spirit? Many times, you know, we, you know, we, we forget uh, the importance of the anointing and the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we do the ministry. So in the context of this passage, this is the resurrected Jesus talking to his disciples. So Jesus, after the resurrection, he gathered a lot of his disciples. Some of the disciples went back to do the things that they were doing before. Peter, for example, went back to fishing, uh, and many of the disciples were afraid, they were scared, you know, what happened, Did Jesus didn't do, you know, the, 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 the freedom, you know, from the Roman Empire. So the, the, the biggest concern for many of the disciples was their freedom from the Roman Empire. So, and Jesus didn't do that. What happened? Did Jesus fail? You know, did we spend our, did, did we waste our time following Jesus all of these years that Jesus spent with us? But Jesus has something, something different in mind. 
So in, in the context of this, it's a, a group of people gathered in one place to, to pray, just to, to hear the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, don't move from Jerusalem. Don't move from here because in a few days you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, so the, the reason why the Holy Spirit was going to come to the life of the disciples was actually to, for them to be witnesses of Jesus into the world. Witnesses of Jesus. They will be the agents of transformation. They will be the people in charge of proclaiming the good news to the nations. Not only to Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth, to the nations. They will be in charge of bringing the message of salvation to many, many, many different people around the world. But they could only do that All they could only do that when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And then you see, you see the story of the book of Acts, and I know you have been studying the book of Acts uh, last year, and you see the work of the Spirit. It's amazing to see what happened in the many, many different places, even welcoming those who were, who were far away from the Lord, welcoming Gentiles. You know the story of, of chapter 10, of the story of Cornelius, seeing how the Holy Spirit was working not only among the Jewish people, but also among the, the Gentiles, and everybody was coming to the faith because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So it is amazing to see to see what happened, you know, in the first century. It's amazing to see how the Holy Spirit came to the 120 people that were gathered in this place. You know, 500 started when Jesus met with them. Then that number started to shrink, and it came down to only 120 people. So 25% of the people were present when finally the Holy Spirit came down. And it is amazing to see to see what happened in the life of that early church, the church of Antioch was a church that, that was a church planting church in the book of Acts. You know, in, in, in comparing to the church in Jerusalem, the church of Antioch did a, a great job in focusing on the proclamation of the gospel in many, many different places. So in my role right now as general secretary, Whenever I had the opportunity to come to our churches, like, like this morning, I am challenging our churches to, to continue to be open and to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, to think about what happened, why many churches today, you know, in, in the U.S., a, a lot of churches close every year. And, and we are, you know, we are planting fewer churches than those that are closing. So, so right now in the RCA, I'm casting a vision to plant the next 1,000 churches. Just to, you know, we're not keeping up with the growth, the population growth, because, you know, we, and I'm, I'm glad that now we're turning the curve a little bit, you know, planting a little more churches than churches that close, but that's not even close to the population growth. Not only, uh, you know, kids being born in North America, but with a, new, a lot of new immigrants coming from around the world. So, so we're trying to do that. We're casting a new vision to plant the next 1,000 churches in the RCA so that we can be Jesus' witnesses. 
to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And the reality is that the ends of the world are coming to us right now. Before, we used to do a lot of mission work, you know, sending missionaries to around, around the world. But now the world has come to us. So we have to really pay closer attention to mission in here where we are serving. But what happened? How do we go back to that passion, to that, you know, to that anointing of the Spirit, to see many, many people come to the faith. How have we lost that? How have we lost that power, that anointing, that connection? How do we go back? What are the practical ways, you know, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? And I believe that's an important question for us. How do we go back to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? And I want to share a couple thoughts about that uh, this morning. Uh, with you. Number one, I, I, I think we need to learn how to pray more. We need to pray all the time. You know, prayer is so important to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So the, the first step is about intentionality. Intentionality about coming to the Lord, you know, about, uh, 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 coming to the Lord more often, coming to the, the Lord and learning the importance of prayer in our lives as, a, as an individual, as a congregation, as a denomination. So when I, when I came, you know, became general secretary uh, last year, I said, you know, the first hire that I'm going to do as, as general secretary, I'm going to hire a, a coordinator for prayer mobilization. So that's the title we have for the person that have joined our staff because I strongly believe that we can only be the witness of Jesus. Jesus witnesses to the world when we come before his face all the time. I can only, honestly, I can only believe, I, I, I only believe that we can only become the witnesses of Jesus to the communities, to our cities, to our world, only when we are spend time with the Lord always. So Jesus' life, if you see the life of Jesus, you know, you, you read the Gospels. Uh, and, and I'm working right now in the Gospel of John. And I've been, I've been working in the Gospel of John for the last five years since I started, I, I started my studies. And it's so amazing to see the life of Jesus and how Jesus used to pray. So every early in the morning, the, the book of Mark says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went, got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus enjoyed spending time with the Father. And we in the church, I think we have lost that. And I'm calling the Reformed Church in America back to the importance of prayer. So, so Jim was a missionary in Albania and also Bahrain, and he has joined our staff to lead that. So now we have regular prayer meeting with our staff. We need to pray. We need to come before the Lord in prayer all the time. And we need to renew that connection with the Lord. We need to teach our churches the importance of coming before the Lord. We need to teach our churches and our congregation the importance of asking God for his guidance. Because, you know, the, the only way that we can be Jesus' witnesses to the world is when we come before him in prayer. 
before the Lord in prayer. So prayer is, you know, is not the preparation for the war. Prayer is actually the battle. Some people, some people think that prayer is preparation for the battle. Actually, prayer is the battle itself. You know, when Jesus was, uh, the, the, the Thursday before Jesus was taken to the cross, he spent the whole night praying at Gethsemane. You know, he, he was at the garden praying. And where did Jesus won the battle? I think that Friday, Jesus had already won the battle because he won the battle, you know, when he was at Gethsemane, praying before the Lord, giving his heart, his life before the Lord. And that's where the battle was happening. And he won the battle on Thursday. Friday, it was only just to get the job done. And, and Thursday was the battle. So prayer is not the preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle itself. So, so I'm calling the Reformed Church in America now to go back to, to, to live close to the Lord. Just to listen one more, to read the Gospels one more time and to learn from Jesus how to pray. So that's, 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 I, I, I believe that intentionality. To live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to go back to that connection with the Lord one more time and ask God for miracles. I said, you know, asking God, say, Lord, we want to see the power of the Spirit manifesting in our congregations. We want to see people heal. We want to see people transform. We want to see miracles happening in our churches. We want to see miracles as normal. It's normal in our churches. People should not be surprised when a miracle happens in the church. That would happen in the early church. You know, if you read the book of Acts, the whole, the whole story of the book of Acts, you see the anointing of the disciples, you know, preaching, proclaiming the gospel. Many people coming to the faith. Many people being healed. And, and how the Holy Spirit would open even the jails. You know, when Peter was in, in, in prison, the congregation was praying, and they could not even believe that an angel came to the Lord and opened the doors, and people, Peter just walked outside and came to the place where they were praying. That's how the power of the Holy Spirit functions. So the second thought that I have about, you know, continuing, you know, in the importance of, of, of getting again to, to, to the anointing of the Holy Spirit is about humility. You know, humility is so important. If we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to learn how to empty ourselves from ourselves. You know, sometimes we are, sometimes we, you know, we are too prideful of ourselves. And there is no room for God to do something in our lives because we are too full of ourselves. The question is, how do we, how can I empty myself? You know, how can I empty myself so that God may fill me with his presence? So, so, so humility is an important thing. James says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. James chapter 4. Uh, James chapter 4. He talks about humility. The importance of being humble. So, so I'm asking the church, and I am as a leader, I'm, I'm saying, you know, one of, the, one of the leadership priorities and leadership principles for me and for all of our staff as we continue to do ministry, we will intentionally practice humility. Humility is important. 
You know, humility is important for us to receive the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's one of our, that's one of our principles as we do the ministry, you know, as I do my ministry in, in the RCA. Humility is necessary as we continue uh, to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. So humility is the key that opens the door to the anointing of the kingdom. So Jesus was humble himself. Jesus was the Son of God. It was God himself, you know, becoming, living as a man among us. But he experienced humility in the ways he spoke, in the ways he led, in the way he did ministry, in the way he, in the way he lived his life, in the way he connected with God. He knew that he would not be able to do the work that God sent him to do to the world if he wasn't a humble person. So that's why he had a lot of problem with the Pharisees. If you, if you read the Gospels, you see that he had a lot of problem with the Pharisees. Why? Because they were far away from being humble. They thought that they were the ones who knew everything. They thought that they were, they were, they were the ones who knew, you know, the Scripture more than anybody else, and their lives were really, really far away from the Lord. So the third thing I want to, I wanna, the third thought that I want to share with you this morning about living and learning to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about prayer, we talk about humility. But the third thing I think is important, and is obedience. Obedience. Oh boy, you know, humans, you, we as humans, you know, we have a hard time, you know, practicing obedience. Why? You know, because of our own, you know, sinful nature. Our, because of our own sinful nature, obedience, you know, practice, practicing obedience, it is so important for us as, as humans, as, you know, the, the, uh, humanity. So, but the New Testament, you know, in the Old Testament, you read a lot of passages and a lot of stories about God calling his people to be obedient. But, but the New Testament completes the call for all believers to be obedient. When Jesus instructed, instructing the disciples concerning the message that anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone that does not take his cross to follow me is not worthy of me. So many times today in North America, and this is the reality of North America, we want to live a crossless Christianity. So we need to live a Christianity that is convenient for me, a Christianity that will, you know, uh, do what, that I can do whatever I want. And that, that is the reality that we're li living right now in North America. And this is, this is the reality of North America. You know, I was born in Latin America. And, and I have done ministry with many people from around the world. And I have a lot of different connections with people around the world. And the questions that the, um, the, the North American church are asking today are not the questions that the church around the globe are asking today. So, so the global church looks back at North America and they say, what are you guys talking about? Can you just obey what scriptures say? Or do you just want to adapt, do you just want the church to adapt to the currents of, of the culture? 
And that's, that's a reality. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm coming from the global south. I'm coming from the global church. And I see ministry through the lens of the global church. And I lead through the lens of the global church. But I live in North America. I'm a Canadian citizen and also I'm an American citizen. So I have that, you know, that reality of the global, of, of the North American context. And, and what I say, you know, the, the, what I'm seeing right now is, is the problem of obedience. We had a hard time obeying. So, so my call to the Reformed Church in America is just to go back and say, can we, can we obey? Can we listen to the Lord? Can we, can, can we go back again and to listen Scripture and to live according to what Scripture says? So obedience unlocks the keys of the uh, obedience unlocks the keys to kingdom living. If we want to know how to have a, to experience a kingdom living, we need to obey. So obedience is the essential means by which we worship our Savior. So let's practice obedience. Let's, let's practice obedience. And let's say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? And I will do it. What are you calling me to do? And I will do it. I will be a disciple of you, Lord, and I'm, I will carry my cross, and I will be close to you. I will sacrifice before the throne of grace all of those things that, you know, that I think are important for me in order to follow you. I want to obey. So let's come before the Lord in prayer all the time. Let's practice humility, and let's be before the Lord always in obedience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful day. This is the day, Lord, that you have made, and uh, we are rejoicing in it. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you, to pray, and to hear your word. I pray for Third Reformed Church. I pray for the staff, and I pray for this congregation, and I ask you, Lord, to bless them as they continue to do ministry in this community that to which you have sent them. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.